1: Experience welcome to the experience, welcome to the, welcome to the Delvin Cox Experience, the podcast in which each week I'm on a one man mission to unite our culture through diversity. I'm your host, Delvin Cox, and with me this week is my boy D Spin 67. But before we get into that, let me give y'all a black history fact for this week. Okay, the black history fact from this week is from blackamericaweb.com and the topic is William Wells Brown. Okay, here it goes. William Wells Brown was a former slave who went on to become, by most accounts, the first African-American novelist to publish a novel and the first African-American playwright to publish a play. This came after a dramatic escape from slavery and the assistance of a good Samaritan. Brown was born into slavery around 1814. At 19, he was sold to a Missouri Steamboat Company owner and staged an escape when the ship carried him docked in Ohio. In the dead of winter, Brown traveled on foot and came across a Quaker who gave him his full name and put him on the path of education. Escaping to the north and settling in Boston, Brown became notable, a notable abolitionist writer and a speaker, but as a fugitive, he felt his freedom could be better realized in Europe, where slavery was outlawed in England and France. With his two young daughters, Brown traveled across Europe drawing crowds among those who opposed the Act of Slavery. With the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850 enacted, Brown opted to stay in Europe until his rich friends were able to purchase his freedom. While in Europe, Brown penned and published The Book of Clawtel, or The President's Daughter, a fictional account of two biracial daughters of President Thomas Jefferson. In 1853, five years later, the play The Escaped or A Leap of Freedom was published although it wasn't produced into a full work until 1971 at Emerson College. After returning to the United States in 1854, Brown continued to write and lecture, picking up an interest in homopathic medicine among the way he also became a medical doctor and opened the practice Brown passed in 1884 at the age of 70 according to most records well that's our Black History Month fact for the third week of Black History Month I hope you guys are enjoying this because I'm really enjoying doing this well we got one more in mind coming up And I have something in mind, but I don't want to give it away. I'd rather you guys hear it. But this has been fun, and I enjoy doing it a lot. So, on to the podcast with me and Dspin67. Hope you guys enjoy it. Peace. What's good, y'all? This is your boy Justin, a.k.a. Just Blaze, host of Above the Rim. And if you want a raw take on the NBA, Above the Rim is a show for you. With dope beats and entertaining guests each week, we offer a great new insight on all things NBA. You don't want to miss it. Find it on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and the Almighty Baller Network. Talk about it! On this journey with me this week is my man, Derek Spinner. How you doing, brother? I'm good, man. Good, and
0: Life is good.
1: And as always, you'd like to start the podcast off and get the ball rolling with the 5 for 5, Five questions, five answers to get the ball rolling. Derek, you ready? Yeah. Question number one How great is Quincy Jones? (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: Obviously, he's one of the best music producers. I mean, I'm old head, so he was around when I was like, Nine ten, maybe because he was, um, did the theme for uh, what was that show, saying for the Sun? So, I remember him from that far back. That's yeah, that's
1: about right. That's about right. Did, <laughs> did a lot, did. Michael Jackson, yeah, out of
0: yeah. So, I don't know, if he was, um. What was that? He was real tight with uh, Frank Sinatra because um, Sinatra got him into places that black people couldn't get into, couldn't go into. Um, he was performing at some hotel back in the '60s, maybe, and the hotel manager told him he had to, him and his band had to go through the kitchen and sinatra was like nah we ain't doing we ain't doing that you coming through the front door and the hotel manager was like nah you know we can't do that and sinatra just you know do what he did man and just like nah you coming through the front door and he, you know that was that so i remember um stories like that about how uh Sinatra was man but I know um uh, like my family and my uncles telling me about Quincy Jones and how he's you know he's really deep with laying tracks down and music and all that
1: kind of stuff definitely that was a great answer to say the least so question <laughs> number two what do you think the dumbest thing you've done as a kid was
0: As a kid, oh, man. I think when I was four, I tried to make pancakes. And uh, I had succeeded to a sense, um, except I did not put oil in the pan. And that uh, kind of smoked the house up, woke my mom up. And she was like, What are you doing? And I was like, Why don't you just make cereal? And I was like, Because I wanted pancakes and I used to watch my grandmother cook. And, (laughs) you know, she got up and was like, Yeah, okay, yeah, I'm going to have to spank you for that, though. And so, (laughs) but it was the back in the 70s, man, they had uh, pancake mix already mixed together and all you had to do was shake it and pour it. And uh, I did that, had to pan up on highs, as high as the fire would go, man, poured the stuff in there, and it stuck and smoked the house up. And my mother got up, man, and yelled, screamed, thought the house was on fire, and, and uh, proceeded to yell, shake me, whoop me, and I ended, ended up uh,
1: having to eat cereal anyway. So <laughs> that was the dumbest thing question number three what's your favorite thing to do when you're not gaming 3d model um,
0: i'm really i'm getting back into that now in fact i working on doing a neighborhood of like a friend of mine she wants to do this story and she was like oh i, I kind of like I have somebody else do the characters. I want you to do like a dilapidated house and then uh, a newer house. And then that grew into neighborhoods. So I started modeling the house maybe five days ago. And uh, so that's my my little passion when I'm not gaming and working two jobs.
1: We all get to that when we finish the 5-5. Get a little bit more into that 3D modeling. Definitely, but uh, okay. Next question. Question number what is this? Question number four now. Yeah, three, three or four. Think I, it's... Uh, we're go we're we're going three. <laughs> question number okay. three. Which would you choose? Fifty thousand dollars or a one hour conversation with anyone of your choosing, alive or dead? Oh man, conversation. Because
0: I know fifty Gs, man. I'm a I'm a nerd, so I would have computers and networking gear and all that stuff. But I think sometimes experience or talking with someone and getting guidance uh, pays probably pays dividends more over the long run uh, because you can you always have that memory but you can go out there and blow the money and then you know don't really have a good memory of what you've done with the money um and be sitting around going dang now i wish i had a chance to talk to like a, a warren buffett or you know for me i want to get into animation so talking to someone from like pixar or Um, one of these top animation companies and uh, getting a better understanding of what it takes to bring a movie to the big screen. So I would rather have the conversation first.
1: Okay, I like that. Question number four. Since you brought it up, what's your favorite cartoon movie?
0: Oh man, the one that's started it all as toy story i like that one uh because nothing had ever been done like that before and i went into research and how much it took to bring that to the big screen And that was a a four-year project for them and they had to the technology that they had back then, they had to really use what they had and compare to what they have today. That was primitive. if you compare technology from then to now, um, and you look at everything that has come out past that Pixar set the bar so high that you had all these other little studios coming up with their own movies But Pixar is like king of the hill. You know, they've won awards and their movies have made so much money. Um, And animators, when they come out of school, Pixar is at the top of the list of where you want to work. And a lot of people, you know, guys and, you know, students, when they come out, they're doing their demo reels and Pixar is like, where they want to going to work, not only for the the way the Pixar tells stories, but the way they uh, develop their animators and, you know, character artists and how they give, put so much emotion into their movies. So uh, I would say that's what I would do.
1: (laughs) Final question. What does black history mean to you?
0: Wow, it means one, uh, my history, uh, my mom's history, and things that I was taught growing up, and generational things like we weren't we were like a, a close unit and even though and i'm so i'm old here so i'm thinking back for the times back in the 70s where people were struggling but they always stuck together and we had to learn that you know we came here in this country and we were slaves and you know we had to get uh um, we have to better ourselves each generation um and i think if i had to teach my kids anything it would be financial security like investing money and saving money and putting money away for retirement at a young age um And to me, it's about learning from your ancestors, where they came from, their, um, the things that they've uh, given to this country as far as like inventions and the medicines and everything that they've uh, contributed to this country. That's the word I was looking for. And over that history and learning and um, especially for young black men to learn how the struggles that we had um, and each generation should be a lot better and a lot further than the previous generation. But we're losing so many young guys because... They want the fast money, and not everybody is like that, but there are a lot of young guys, and that's the thing that they are gravitating towards, and nobody sits them down and say, hey, look, you have to work and plan things out. and you have so many young guys going to jail now, man. And it's uh, it's a shame that we're losing um, so many guys. And I know I went off on kind of a tangent, but um, when I was younger, you know, I think part of my history or Black history was about learning from your ancestors, like my grandmother and uh uncles and great uncles and all the things that they had to do and the stuff they had to go through and you know 30s, you know, ten the the twenties, thirties, forties, that they weren't allowed to have the freedoms and to go into places and, you know walk among people, you know, in the different cities, especially in the South. And Um, just have that freedom to walk down the street and I think looking back over black history and how far we've come but then you start to think have we really come that far when you look at the way uh, things are today
1: yeah I can see where that would come from but I think we have come far I think the problem is now it's not the same struggle it's a different struggle right you know yeah Whereas before they was before we was on slave ships in a sense, they moved from slave ships to segregation, they moved from segregation to systemic racism. Now we live in a time where racism can kind of be overt and blatant, and it's kind of crazy to see it happen because it's weird because how do I describe it? It's, it's right in your face. It's you, yeah. There's no hiding it now. Right. And it's to the yeah. point where other people who are not necessarily black or maybe not even necessarily white, but other people and other races can see it and they're yeah. pointing it out. So it's not, we live in a time now where before it was always black people pointing out racism and seeing like, hey, that's racist and people kind of like brushing it off. Now we live in a generation, where, which is good in the long run, where everybody points it out. Right. And they're seeing that there's something wrong with the system. and They're seeing that there's cracks in the system. There's things that are generally set up to make minorities fail. Mm-hmm. But I didn't want to get too deep into that. But I want to get more <laughs> into you. Let everybody know who you are for one thing. Because they might not know just by hearing your name, Derek Spinner. They might not know who you are. So let everybody know who you are exactly. Um, or what they may know your your other name as. Oh,
0: on like Twitter, um, dspin67, on PlayStation, um, Tickster, and Xbox, um, Nerdish67. I'm a old school gamer, man, like Atari 2600. I remember. Uh, games from back in the early '80s, there were text adventures, so there was nothing graphical to you to for you to look at. You had to type in commands and use your mind um, to get through stories. And I know uh, there was a really popular game called Zork that that's what you had to do um so i i go back to gaming way back then um i am i've been a redskins fan like i love sports so i've been a redskins fan for like 40 years a lakers fan probably about 38 and a yankees fan for about 20. so I'm from D.C., born and raised, uh, grew up in the DMV, grew up watching, going to RFK to watch the Redskins, watching the University of Maryland, watching Georgetown, you know, John Thompson, Patrick Ewing. I grew up doing that that time.
1: Um, So what was it like? Being around right. during that time where you have, like, like John Thompson is a legend. For those who don't know, John Thompson is a legendary college basketball coach. Anybody who's kind of a big guy in that, like Alonzo Mourning, Patrick Ewing, so many legendary basketball players came from John Thompson. So, what was it like growing up and just watching that happen and being at an environment?
0: It was, it was really cool. Um, John Thompson was one of those coaches that if you came to play with him, no matter how talented you were, your grades in school had to, to match that. There was a guy named Michael Graham, dude was like, uh, when he came to basketball, man, he was like a monster on the court. His grades, <laughs> you know, did not wasn't on that level, you know, and so John Thompson, it was like, if you want to stay here on this scholarship, you got to take the 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 like the school part seriously, and he didn't, got cut. And my uncle lived in a part of Maryland. There was a guy there. um I can't remember his name, but we used to call calling kneecaps and he ended up playing for John Thompson and uh, got a chance to talk with him and asked him, what was it like? And he was like, man, this is one of the greatest people I've ever met because he stressed education. He said, yeah, it's good that you playing basketball, but if basketball, if you don't get to the pros, you have to have something to fall back on. So he stressed to all his players that education, you know, is going to carry you a lot further than this basketball. The basketball, if you get to the pros, you make them money. But if you blow your knee out or you get hurt and you can't play, what is, what is your plan B? And his thing was like, you got to have the education. So come here, get your education. Play some basketball, but grow to graduate going out there into the world and be somebody.
1: So, well, let me just give out some stats for Tim so people will know who he is. He won seven coach of the year awards, the Big East, and the players that he's coached include Patrick Ewing, Sleepy Floyd, Alonzo Morty, Alonzo Alonzo M- the kid named Mutombo, and Allen Iverson. Yes. So that tells you right there what kind of coach he was.
0: Yeah. He had um, a lot of guys who were really great college players that didn't really get to the uh, – didn't have the same success in the NBA. He had Reggie Williams. Um, oh, man, he caught me. There were like five guys that he had back in the 80s that were really, really good college players um, <clears throat> <excuse me. clears throat> that did not go to the NBA, but they graduated with a um, degree from Georgetown. So they went on to be successful in whatever area. Um, but watching these guys play and put everything into playing basketball, man, it was awesome, especially um, when you had, you know, Lynn Bice at Maryland playing and you had the Big East as big as it was with Syracuse and all these other teams that were there, man. It was a, It was exciting.
1: Yeah, that's – Definitely was cool, man. Just being around that vibe. So, what else do you remember about just growing up in you grew up, grew up in that area? I know you were Redskins fan. Mm-hmm. So, the first thing that comes to mind is um Sean Taylor.
0: Yeah, man. At ten years, well, little over ten years ago. You know, he got killed, man. But the short time that. He was with the Redskins, man. He's a, a legend. Um you know, he would still rock his jersey and he's on the the Redskins ring of honor. He'll never he'll never get to the Pro Bowl, I mean to the Hall of Fame. But in that area, man, he was like like <clears throat> he was an awesome player, man. And you know, he had his he had a few off-field off issues, but when it came time to play, man, Sean was like, every every game, man, you know he was gonna lay the wood on somebody. Um, but I grew up in the uh, watching the Redskins in the 80s, which anybody who's been watching them, they were, everything that you see the Redskins do now people in their mind and comparing them to the team from the or the teams from the eighties. And it's, it's so sad. I mean, to watch this team not have any real success, you know, in the drafting of the Robert Griffin and that didn't pan out and, you know, having Kirk cousins and that not pan out. And, uh, They, I don't know, man. I'm just, (laughs) honestly, I'm disappointed that they haven't really done anything in the last, you know, 20 years, 25 years. But growing up in D.C., man, I'll tell you this. Washington, when they were playing on Sundays, crime was down in the D.C. area. Like, nobody would be... Out on the streets, you have the the football wives, as they call them. They have the malls and stuff to themselves, and everybody be in the house watching Washington. Um, so it was it was always fun, and I'll I'll always remember meeting uh, Daryl Green and Ardemont, Dexter Manley, Charles Mann, John Riggins, like. During the parades, and you know, you would see them out and about, and they were really cool. Like the one thing I could say about growing up in D.C., man, I met a lot of, you know, athletes. Met Ralph Sampson. Oh, say um, Break it up. Huh? Oh, I'm sorry. Can you hear me? Uh, I hear you. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> you know, growing up. It, up in that area, man, you got to see a lot of, of athletes, man. So was, most of them was real cool. You know, you come up to them, ask for an autograph. They, you know, real cool. Um, but uh, like I was saying, D.C., man, just having the Redskins being, you know, back in their day, the quarterback and the coach of the Redskins, man, they could – they could go anywhere, and you know, sit, go to a restaurant, don't have a reservation, get a table. You know, they were that on top. They were like the the president walking into a, a, a building or to a restaurant, and you know, they get taken care of. Um, but I love growing up in D.C. Man, it was. It was really cool. We had the subway. So if you didn't have a car, you could take the subway or the city bus anywhere. When I was a kid, you know, I grew up um, like there was a street that divided DC from Maryland. And so we would grow up I was uh, spent most of my time in Maryland and we'll go across the street into D C into the hood and play basketball and you know in the summers and do that and then of course you know you would get into you know little fights or whatever going downtown to DC having all the museums there you know, the Smithsonian you know the air and space the natural history museums and all of that um, man I wouldn't I wouldn't trade my my growing up there for anything it was you know, people will come to DC to go to the White House and go to the Capitol and go to the, you know, the monument and uh, you know being there, you know, having access to go down there anytime. It was great.
1: Sound like it's a lot of culture there. That's a, that's a good thing. That's pretty cool to be in <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, what got you into three D animation? Was it just watching Toy Story and just seeing that and just said, "Hey, I I want to do this." man when
0: i was 13 i'll never forget my mother and my aunt and a couple of their friends were in this book club and they would exchange these really thick novels and i wanted to like sunday nights um there was the thing called walt disney the world of walt disney or Something and they would show, um, like either a Disney, like, um, like a movie like the Apple Dumbling Gang, or they would show like Peter Pan. So I was really interested in animation and I wanted to see how they made things move. Like, animation was really cool because you had Snow White in them and the way that they move, like their dresses and other things just what's really cool considering that all of that was hand drawn. So I took one of the novels and I would draw what I call were scenes. And I made a little flip book and I watched the, they had like a behind the scenes thing on like Disney and showing how they do the animation. So I did that in uh, one of my mom's novels. And it did not end well when she went to get that book out. (laughs) Because I had, like, if it was, like, 200 pages, man, I did 120 in the the bottom of it, turned to the side, and made a flip book. And, And my mom flipped (laughs) Um, But that was my first time, like, really wanting to... That's what I really wanted to do, you know, when I got out of high school. But trying to find a school that did uh, for animation, there weren't that many. Now these schools are all over the place. You can go to a city. You can go to Europe. You can take the classes online. Uh, But that was my, my... the one thing i really wanted to do and i got into to start doing modeling uh because i just wanted to create something and then turn that into like a a photo realistic scene so i'm really big into to modeling now uh um, if i could if i had you know, the financial means to stop working and only do that, I would do that 12 hours a day and be extremely happy about it. Um, that sounds awesome, I to say the least. Yeah, and, uh, and I'm self-taught. So, you know, just playing around with the software and just learning how to create different things, um, you know, with the software and, and pushing it and you know trying to grow uh that's my 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 true passion the one thing that, like if uh 200. magazines and books that's the one thing i love
1: so how long have you been doing that for
0: off and on uh, about nine years um nine to ten wow. maybe that area, somewhere in that range, um, and I really wanted to do just create like assets for like a, a battlefield or a, a Call of Duty or any type of video game where you just had objects in the game, and people don't realize that it took somebody some time to to design that and drop it, have that put into a game. Um, there are guys, uh, you know, they are artists that that's all they do. They just create things like desks, chairs, uh you know, phones on the wall, cars, poles, you know, anything. When you walk it through and you play a video game, you know, buildings and doing all the detail. And if you walk, like I was playing Assassin's Creed and I was. Sitting there, and that took a minute when I walked into one of the houses. Is that all the things that they put in it into that one little house to make you feel like this all these things should be there? Um, there was nothing that was odd, you know, everything that somebody took the time to model. Um, I was like, wow, that's pretty cool!
1: Yeah, it's definitely cool to see those days of video games. What are you playing right now? What type of games did you like to play? What are you getting into right now? Um,
0: Actually, right now, I have Fired Up in the Background uh, playing the show, 17. I have uh, probably get back into Batman. What is that? The Enemy Within, the Telltale's game. I'm, you know, I'm on the this. season two. Uh, Horizon Zero Dawn. Uh, then- Assassin's Creed Origins. I just finished Mafia 3. How did you like that one? I, uh, I love Mafia 3, man. That was my joint. Man. I loved it. I, I I beat it on the Xbox, and I wanted to play it again just because of the music, so I could ride around and listen <laughs> to the music from the 60s. Um, but I had fun both times. Uh, and I have like a whole... like I haven't even fired up 2 k18 yet you know because i've been you know because i work two jobs so i don't have like a lot of time to sit down and just game so if i do it's usually like sunday and i'll just be like let me find a game let me put some time into it but with me studying for uh, these it certifications because i want to move into that uh it's, I don't have a lot of time to, like, game. Like, when I come home in the evening, I have, like, a two-hour window, and that's to eat and figure out what I'm uh, where to, to my full-time job. And I'm usually in bed, say, like, 9, because I'm back up at one-thirty, because I work at Amazon. So I have to be to work at 2.30 in the morning. And I get off between 6.30 and 7, go to pick up my, my little guy, Take him to school, come home, change, back out the door for the full time job. So, uh, when I do have a chance to game, I want to play a, a good game. I don't want to play anything that's going to, you know, that's horrible.
1: So, you, you just yeah. brushed up a big detail, just completely ran over it. You work for Amazon. Yes. What is that like? I'm <laughs> quite sure people want to know what that is like. It's. Amazon, well,
0: let me explain what I do. Um, in order for a package to get to your house, you place the order. That order gets boxed up and it goes for what I, what I do. It goes to another building and then we sort it out by neighborhoods, basically. And then it gets put on either a van. It delivers it to a neighborhood or a flex driver and they, uh, the flex driver is like you sign up and you drive your personal car and you come to our building, you pick the packages up and you take it to, to the customer's house. Amazon, I will honestly say is the most customer centric company in the world. There are, all about the, the the customer, man, but working for them, it's been great. I've learned a lot about business, um, and they give you the opportunity to succeed. It's, it's just, the only thing I don't like is the shift that I work like the hours, <laughs> but everything else, man, we, uh, we love, we love it, man. Uh, we have four centers here in Richmond. Uh, and the one I work in, everybody wants to come to work in. Uh, but, you know, the people I work with, man, we, we get in there, we hustle, we knock things out, and we want to make sure that everybody gets their, um, their package every day because we are, you know, we pretty much run 363
1: days a year. So just remember, everybody, if you don't get your package, Send a tweet out to Derek, like, hey, what about packing chat? you say that. <laughs> Definitely. So um, now since we talk about Amazon, one more question about that. So what do you think of the store? The new store they opened oh, up where you don't need to bring anything in except the Amazon. Um
0: Um man, Amazon is just <laughs> they it, it's so weird how things have changed because Walmart changed the way people shop, retail, you know, brick and mortar and Amazon has taken it a step further and you can buy anything online now with, I mean, you, even outside of Amazon, you can buy anything. And I mean, I think it's cool that you can just walk into a store and, and grab get with stuff.
1: Old, just grab what you want to leave. Yeah. That's pretty cool. <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, but I used to work a few years ago. Uh, this is my second stint with Amazon. I was one of those people that you would call up when you didn't get your package. Oh, and man, so I got. I, some,
1: I probably worked with you, you before. <laughs> <laughs> you know,
0: it's. Uh, I'll tell you this one story. This lady had ordered. Um, this how can I keep this clean? A battery operated personal device and evidently it was taking too long to get to her house and i I was like okay yeah it's on the way she said well why is it taking so long i said, ma'am the one that you ordered is coming from china you know and she's like well it's taking too long okay all right i mean i don't we can't speed it up you know you just have to wait You know, but you, man, it's, I don't know what was going on that week, man, but the people at work, man, we all had similar stories about that similar device, you know, like (laughs) what is going on in this world, man? One guy that, um, one of my boys that worked there, he told me that the guy was like angry that you know I, I don't know what was going on in their relationship but he, you know his wife was like you're gonna have to do something you got to go out there and buy me one or something I was, <laughs> we said, man we to have some stories man but like i say amazon man they are custom when they if you hear that phrase they're they most customer centric they are not kidding the customer comes first in all aspects and if they call up and say they didn't get a package, you do everything they can, that you can to make sure that that customer was happy before you hung up the phone, whether it was a refund, sending it back out, and if you send it back out, you send it uh, overnight, you know, or you know, you find out
1: what they wanted, and you took care of them. That's awesome, Derek man. The as, man. Thank you for coming on the podcast, man. This has been fun listening to you tell these stories. That story that you just told it just basically wrapped it up. To say the least. That was awesome. uh, I
0: appreciate you, man. Thanks so much. Uh, I was kind of nervous, didn't know, you know what, what kind
1: of questions I was going to be asked. So this was fun. This was a lot of fun. No problem. we definitely going to have you back on again, Derek, man. Probably going to have you back on when we start talking about Black Panther.
0: Oh, yeah, man. Yes. Yes. I'm definitely going to see that. I probably won't go until that Saturday, but I'm going to see that. I even bought me a t-shirt. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm going to check that out. Everybody <laughs> Taking the kids with you? to go
1: and check that movie out, man. That's <laughs> going to be dope. Yeah, man. Definitely. We definitely gonna have you on for that, man. Thanks for coming on the podcast. And as always, Delver Cock Spears, we out. Peace. Peace, man. Good looking.